Welcome to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast presented by Dean Duplessis. We bring you up to date with all the ongoing fixtures domestically and on the international scene. We profile players, both current and former, and tell you all you need to know in the world of cricket. Bowling! Beautiful! And man, what a night Rosa's having! You know, he's 36 years of age, but he's playing with a more youthful exuberance than that. He looks like he's, you know, 26 again. He's running around in the field and enjoying himself and leading from the front. Those players, they want that big moment, they want that stage, and when they get there, they're not going to let it slip. They're going to make the most of it and make sure they get the job done, and that's what Sikanda's done so beautifully. This has been an exhibition of the cleanest striking from Sikanda Raza. He's had an amazing couple of years, really, hasn't he, of international cricket. You know, he's 36 years of age now, and I think the thing that I picked up most, certainly in, in the qualifiers for, the, for this World Cup and, and, the, and the, the two games that Zimbabwe have played, it's, it seems to be his, his level of maturity has just really gone through the roof. You know, he's, he's standing up in pressure moments, which you need to do. When, when we start talking about World Cups, you know, players' names and reputations are forged on how you perform in big games. Shot. Oh, what a shot. That's out the middle, all right, and it's gone all the way for six. Well, what a fantastic introduction, beautifully set up and uh, explained by Ricky Ponting, one of the finest in the business, and then uh, nicely also delivered by Pommy and Bangwa. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. I'm Dean Duplessis, and if you are listening for the first time, uh, it's great to have you on board. And uh, for those who uh, would perhaps maybe like to ensure that more people get to listen to the podcast, please spread the word. Please share the podcast and uh, in, uh, ensure that more and more people around the world, more cricket lovers, get to listen to this podcast. And you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast. Those are your three uh, podcasts that, uh, or your three apps that you can use to subscribe to the Dean Adstam's podcast. Okay then, so let's get underway. He's had an absolutely wonderful ICC T20 World Cup. He's been named as one of the players in the team of the tournament, which is absolutely outstanding. This is Sikandar Raza, and I caught up with him, well, not so long ago. Sikandar, great to thank you so very much for your time. You've had a real roller coaster ride of all sorts of incredible emotions. Um, I'd like to first of all just start off by talking to you and, and take you back to a bit before the World Cup because so many of us are focusing on what you did in this recently concluded World Cup. But your form has actually gone back some distance before that. And, and I, I just want you to talk to us about how you've gone about your business. What has been, have you changed the way that you've practiced? Have, is there anything that, you, that you've changed or how has this consistency come about? Um, the only thing that I would say that has made a real change is inclusion of Davy Houghton, to be honest. Um, he's, he's shown a real, real care for every individual player, his needs, and he's, he's, he's managed us really well. He's shown a real sense of uh, responsibility towards the senior guys and uh, how we should go on about our business and how to conduct ourselves. And he's brought that uh, fearless freedom. Um, but of course the senior guys will have that accountability with them as well and that should always be there in my opinion. So I think the re real change hasn't really come from me, the real change has come from Davy Houghton. 
I, I ask it because even before David took over, you were playing some unbelievably good innings, but unfortunately the team weren't able to back up your your consistency, you know, you played exceptionally well against Afghanistan. You played very well against the Namibians, against South Africa A. It, it just it just seems that it's not just a, a, a once-off occurrence. You know, you've just been able to time the ball beautifully. And when you're in the field, you're amongst the wickets as well. It's just something that's happened with regular consistency. Yeah, listen, um, I think it's nice to see the results, but it, the, results, the results are a real testament to the sacrifices I personally have made in my career when it comes to my diet when it comes to my rest when it comes to my routine when it comes to how I train and things like that so yeah listen I wouldn't say the team hasn't really backed it up I think all of us has really tried um, some sometimes it just works sometimes it hasn't worked mm. but I think um, this it's the same bunch of boys it's, it's the same uh, group of guys that went to the World Cup that were playing all those uh, series that you have mentioned so we were really trying and I think it's because of all those effort that we put in the past to us that at the World Cup we managed to shine as a country and as a team. When you and the team left on this incredible adventure that was the ICC T20 World Cup 2022, did you ever imagine yourself being picked and included in the ICC T20 uh, tournament, the team tournament? No, that never came into my mind to be honest. The only thing that, that was a real goal for us was as a team to qualify for the main round and, and even possibly give it a best shot if here and there one result goes our way, play some extraordinary cricket and give it a good shot for the semi-final. That was a collective team goal and it did cross my mind. But individual goals, individual accolades, they don't really cross my mind. Mm, yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about, well, I, I've often been asked this question as an analyst and I'd love to hear your players, your, your opinion on this matter. You, which is more heartbreaking, which is more disappointing for you? Losing to India by 71 runs, which is obviously a very convincing and, and sound beating, or coming so close to, to beating Bangladesh and losing by three runs, which one hurts more? Uh, for me, every loss hurts. Mm. I mean, India hurt it uh, for a couple of days as well, just like Bangladesh hurt it for a couple <coughs> of days. Then for me personally, every loss hurts. Um, um, I'm not a big fan of saying, oh yeah, that loss didn't hurt. Every loss hurts to me. Uh, in the context of the World Cup, I think Bangladesh loss hurted us a bit more. Yeah, because of the, obviously, you, had you beaten Bangladesh, it's not just semi-finals, but then you wouldn't have had to have qualified for the next event. Is that correct? That is correct. I yeah. mean, that that means we would have automatically qualified for mm -hmm. the Super 12 of the next World Cup. Yes. Super 12. So, but now, what does this mean? Does this now mean that you once again have to go through the whole qualifying process? as you did in down in Bulawayo earlier this year, or not necessarily? No, as far as I know, I don't think so. We're doing the Bulawayo qualifiers. We're going to the World Cup next year, and we're playing the, the Super 8, where um, four teams from two groups will join the Super 8s of the main round and make ah. it a 12-team World Cup. Okay, all right. So we don't have to go through the qualifiers like we did earlier this year again. No, no, no. I don't, as far as I know, as far I don't as I think know. so. Because no. <laughs> we made it on the rankings and the fact that we qualified to the Super 12. So we, we skipped that Bulwoyo part. Okay, right. That, that, that makes huge amounts of sense. Now, I want you to talk to me, please, about the various stadiums or the correct terminology, I understand, is stadiums that you, that you played at. To me, the, the two big ones that spring to mind, Optus Stadium, Perth, and then the MCG. Now, I'd like you to, to explain it as if you were also talking to a person who's visually impaired. <laughs> so, I'll try and give the best description, Dean, so that you can live that moment with me. So, Optus is high and round. Right. 
and it is massive it's a modern state-of-the-art stadium Dean so I watched Sri Lanka against Australia as a spectator I wanted to get an idea of the wicket what is happening plus I wanted to show support to some of my friends who plays for Sri Lanka mm -hmm. so I watched that game and then I came back and then the following day we were in the dressing room do you know I think the dressing room of that stadium is bigger than your Playboy Mansion right now. <laughs> I tell you that. That that place is massive, Dean. It has, it has two swimming pools, or maybe I wouldn't call it swimming. Maybe deep bathtubs yeah. for icing and uh, icing and stuff. Then there's a jacuzzi. Then there is a media, not media. Then there's a uh, analysis room where there's a projector. It's like a small cinema. Wow. Um, there, oh, there is two different physio rooms. There's two different uh, dining rooms. Um, there's a praying room. Dean, you name it, it was there. It was there. The changing room itself was massive. And I mean massive. So, do you know, that was Optus. And it was beautiful. And then we came to the MCG. MCG was also massive and had a different vibe. MCG was a lot more crowded. Mm. I mean, it, we played under 84,000 people, something like that. And that's the biggest crowd I played under against India. So that was incredible. So people added to a bit of buzz to the stadium, to the beauty of the stadium. Um, they had the dancing lights as well. So after the 10 over mark, the main lights switch off and the dancing lights came on and it was a good, good entertaining show for the three minutes break. Um, change rooms again are massive. Uh, Dean, you name it, it was there. Mm. So I'm trying to, and also they go round and they go up. Uh, yes, yeah. So if yeah. you're at the top, that's quite a scary view, in my opinion. If you if you suffer from heights, that's not something that you'd really. No, you you watch at home then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I my experience of going to the Gabba in Brisbane as well is uh, when they ignite the the, the fireworks or, or whatever those lights are, you can actually feel the heat up in the oh, yeah? uh, in the crowds as well. Yeah. So so Gabba isn't as high as Optus and yeah. MCG. And the lights are slightly lower, so of course you can. I can understand why you're saying that you could feel the heat. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so let's just talk about the the various games. So Zimbabwe started off their campaign against Ireland. You came to the crease at a tricky situation at 35 for three. You could very easily have taken the the more orthodox approach, try to build a bit of a partnership, and then only accelerate with about five overs to go hopefully with wickets in hand, but you opted not to do that. You decided to take a few calculated risks, play some brave, bold and courageous cricket, and it worked quite magnificently for you. I mean, is it just something that, is, is it like a, a sense that, that comes and just says, right, it's time to pull the trigger, or is it just, some, you know, do you just feel good as you approach the crease, or how does that work when you just explode from ball one, basically? So my, I try and try and hit the ball of the middle of the bat most of the time. Um, one of the mistakes I made against Bangladesh was the two balls I faced, they didn't really come off the middle and I wanted to take on the third ball, which was a wrong option. So against Ireland, I had a, I had a view. I think I faced five balls before my first boundary or stuff like that. But Dean, if I had stayed onto the crease and only try and capitalize in the last five overs, then we may only get 140, 150. And mm. I don't think so. That was a safe total on that track. Um, we, we pride ourselves in scoring 160s, 170s now and we train that way as well. There is no point just being on the crease and scoring runs at a, at a pathetic or at a very slow strike rate and it's not helping the team. It, mm. It's helping you, yeah, you got runs, 
but I don't think so you put the total on the board where you can defend it. I mean, 140 and I got 50 of 43 balls. How would have that helped my team? No. So I've always said to my team and I've always said it to myself, if the, if the team goal comes before your personal needs, you will find yourself ticking along and achieving all those beautiful things anyway. Your team needs must always be the priority and must always come before your own personal needs, whatever goals you have. And that is one thing that I've, that I've said to myself and I've stuck by it. If I had failed playing a certain brand of cricket, then so be it. But I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm always gonna be selfless out there and, and look after the team needs. So I guess. I mean, I know that perhaps maybe, oh, as much as people love the pull stroke that you played, um, were you sometimes a bit frustrated in the sense that sometimes you opted to try and clear the bigger boundaries, like at Optus, which is a huge boundary, and then uh, you know holding out to the fielder or, or not or not at all. Is, I mean, because if it if it had come off, it would have been pretty spectacular, wouldn't it? So Dean, I've played. How many games have I? I think I've got 100 and close to 10 ODIs and maybe 60 or T20s. 66, I think. Yeah, so that's yeah. 176 white ball games I've played. Yeah. I think I've got out close to 120 times. If I've gone out 120 times, there's a very good chance I'm going to get out to a similar shot here and there. For me, it is always risk against reward. I'm not going to tell you when, but there's a couple of times when I wasn't actually looking to hit the field. I was looking to control the pull shot onto the ground, but because mm -hmm. of the bounce, I ended up getting, I ended up timing it too well, yeah. and it ended up carrying to the 90-meter boundary when I was just looking to hit it onto the ground and, and, and basically find the gap. Mm, yeah. But no, I'm not bothered about people making comments about I'm, I'm getting out like that. I'm getting Tomorrow they'll comment about I'm getting out driving. Then they'll mm -hmm. comment about I'm getting out cutting. Then they'll comment about I'm getting out down leg. It doesn't matter, Dean. And then the reverse sweeper come into it as well. There's always <laughs> something to talk about. As long as I put in all the work in the nets, then I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm strong enough to shun this white noise that, that I don't need. Just stay focused. Plus... I remember Davey speaking to me and he said, I said to him, I said, Davey, I know I've got out pulling in Townsville three out of three. And uh, one of the times, to be honest, I pulled it really well and I thought it's a six, but it was into the wind. And Davey said to me, don't worry about Townsville, make sure you're pulling in Hobart. He said, the boundaries are 60 meters. Make sure you're not controlling your pull. You hit it as hard as you can. And before you know, I was hitting a 98 meter boundary, a 98 meter six. So Davey could have easily said, if, if it was any other coach, I reckon they would have said it, yeah, yeah, yeah I think pull is that they're going to they're gonna target you on the short ball. I think out of my 80 runs, I scored 40-plus runs on pulls anyway. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. So that's a high, run, high percentage of runs, Dean. Now, I can't, I can't allow myself not to pull now and miss out on those runs and add pressure to myself and to the team. So that's a when I heard Davey saying that, I was pretty clear that I'm going... I want to take you back to Optus because let me tell you, there were people who were very, very nervous. So, and, and a low scoring game against Pakistan, a pitch typical of Perth, lots of pace, lots of bounce. We saw how Pakistan utilized it beautifully, where Zimbabwe lost four wickets for the addition of, of no runs and then recovered quite nicely through uh, Brad Evans at the end there and uh, Ryan Burl a little bit as well. But now you're in the field and you introduced and immediately you're amongst the wickets as you have pretty much been throughout the tournament. You're, you're getting amongst it. But now we're getting sort of, um, we, we're getting towards the back end of the innings and it's getting a very, very, very tense. I mean, you're on the verge of beating an incredibly good side such as Pakistan. But it seemed to me that, the major that all the players actually were able to hold their nerve and 
if, if it had been six months ago, I'm not so sure that that would have been the case. But this time around, Brad Evans bowling beautifully. The fielding was very solid as well, wasn't it? Everything just went beautifully. You know, if this was six months ago, we wouldn't have been at the World Cup. Yeah. That I can assure you. Um, you know, I think on that, on that day, the crowd and the place itself added a bit of energy to us. The Zimbabwean crowd was very vocal at Optus. And I mean extremely vocal. We needed that energy off them, and, and they fed us that energy. And then to be at Optus also added that that extra. You know, you're, you're there at this iconic venue, and you may never be here again. So we want to make some memories. And then we started really well with uh, Mabunu, Brad, and Grava. And I think the start gave us more than the hope that we can actually win this game. And uh, that's where the belief came from. Um, after the start, the crowd got involved, the place itself gave us that extra push that we needed and before you know, we've taken that game to the last over and we backed ourselves to win it. Just incredible. I mean, and, and the same, I suppose, could be said for when you are on the verge of qualifying for the Super 12s, in other words, against, against Scotland. Yeah. Um, uh, that was at, uh, at Hobart. So Zimbabwe off to a bit of a shaky start. Yeah. Uh, but then you come in and you score. A quite breathtaking 40 of 23 deliveries, nice little cameo, uh, but then you, you got out. Yeah. Craig Irvin goes and he gets to his 50 and then the next thing he, after getting to 50, he gets out. Uh, I, I'm just thinking now of the Zimbabwean supporters. I would imagine there would have been, an, there would have been a, whether you were in the diaspora at the ground or just here in Zimbabwe, there would have been an absolute moan of abject terror as Craig Irvin got out. But Again, Milton Shumba and Ryan Bull showed, showed great uh, calmness in getting Zimbabwe over the line. So uh, what would you have said as you got out? You, Milton Shumba would have replaced you. What did you say to Milton as he came out to the no, crease? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything. Really? All I said was to Craig that you're going to win this the game. I actually said that because he was ill the game against West Indies. Yeah. So when he played that game, I said, today's your day, you'll win us this game. And uh, when I was batting with him, my only thing was, you stay here, let me take all the calculator risk, you have to be here till the end, you have to win the game for the country. And credit to Craig, Craig did exactly that. I know he got out when we needed less than one a ball, and I know Craig wanted to finish that game, but it was still a great effort in a very nervy situation. And after that, Millie and uh, of course, uh, Ponce, uh, I, was, I was pretty confident about these two finishing the game. Um, Luke, um, Luke was still too bat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I right. think Luke that's was right. still out there. So it gave me a little bit of, you know, calmness. I mm. wasn't too worried about the game. Uh, I was very sure that uh, these two, because they're they're quick runner between the wickets, so I knew that the ones and the twos, the opposition will will be will be struggling to stop, and we can win it by by basically virtue of ones and twos. But and you did. Yeah, that's exactly how you went about it. So what's next now for, first of all, what's next for Sikandar Raza and then what's next for Zimbabwe cricket? So what is next for me is Abu Dhabi T10, where I depart tomorrow. And uh, then the rest of the things you're going to have to wait, Dean. I cannot, mm -hmm. I cannot reveal too much. But okay. uh, for Zimbabwe, I think the Afghan tour is off. That has been confirmed. But there is a tour in Jan. So people of Zimbabwe will have to wait, just wait till January. I know that you are incredibly team focused, which I, I think is just absolutely amazing. But after your consistency over the last year and throughout the World Cup, would you would you now feel that you would very much like to have a gig in the IPL next year? 
Do you know, these are the questions that I don't think about. The reason being, if it's meant to be for me, my faith says that. If it's meant to be, I'll get it, Dean. If it's not meant to be, it doesn't matter how deserving I am. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Who doesn't want to be part of the prestigious and the most, uh, the biggest uh, T20 franchise tournament in the world? So yes, the the will is there. But, but if I've performed well enough to get there, then I'll get there. And if I haven't, then I haven't. Then I'll try harder and... And see, at least I'll give it a fair shot. I'll give it a good go. And if I don't make it in my career, I'm at peace with that. It's okay. If I wasn't good enough, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, You're listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. He is as humble as always. Never ever gets ahead of himself, and uh, keeps both those feet planted firmly on the ground, except for when he's coming down the wicket to play the pull stroke or uh, trying to use his feet against the spinner. Sikanda Raza, what a fantastic individual. And uh, wishing him all the very best with his upcoming uh, Abu Dhabi T10. So uh, there were quite a bit of good things happening. All right then, so uh, we've heard from Sikanda Raza. Let's now uh, catch up with uh, Dave Houghton, Zimbabwe's coach, as he gives his thoughts and opinions as to uh, how everything unfolded and uh, whether he was happy and whether he perhaps would have liked a little more. Davey, thanks very much for the chat. Always good catching up with you. Give me an analysis uh, of this whole tournament. Have you come away feeling pretty satisfied? Um, Yeah, I suppose satisfied is quite a good word. Um, I still feel like we left a bit there. You know, Um, you always want a bit more, don't you? And, you know, we were we did really well to beat Pakistan in the last ball of the game, and then we lost on the last ball of the game to Bangladesh. I think um, if we could have won that game as well, then I would have felt very satisfied. So I still feel there's a little bit more we could have achieved, but overall I'm pretty happy with the way we've played. Do you feel, so a lot of people are of the opinion that that big push to get through to the Super 12s, and then obviously starting off with the real bang beating Pakistan, it, it kind of... Um, maybe emotionally drained the players like they ran out of petrol or ran out of steam? Um, I, I wouldn't have said that. I think I'd give you just a brief history of that trip for us because we really feel like we got the backside end of the whole tour. We, you know, we, we got there quite late. We were in a hurry. You know, our first practice game was less than 36 hours after we'd landed after two days of travel. Um, we then had to go to Hobart and play in, in basically in 10 degrees with in and out of rainstorms. We played three night games in a row in the qualifiers for a country that doesn't have floodlights. It was always difficult for us and we were always the second game of the day. So we had to wait for the first game of the day to finish before we could even get together and try and prepare. Most, most of those three qualifier games we didn't um, even have a team warm-up because we didn't have time for it. We'd run out of time. So we went from there, we went, and then we had the rain-affected game with South Africa, which was also um, draining for us. You know, being made to try and play in torrential rain was just ridiculous. And then we go to Perth. Now, the thing with the go to Perth, it's not just around the corner, it's a four-hour plane flight, and you lose four hours of time. So we're back into jet lag situations and everything else. So we, we did, we beat Pakistan there. We then fly back another four hours across to Adelaide, um, I think for our next game, and um, sorry, to Brisbane, mm. four and a half hours to Brisbane, where we play uh, Bangladesh. And again, we are another three and a half hours or four hours of time difference plus a four hour plane flight. So actually, by the time we got to the Bangladesh game and definitely to the Holland game, we were just about dead on our feet energy wise. You know, there was no time in between games, it was play, travel, train, play. And 
it was very, very tiring and very, very difficult for the guys to keep at the, at the height they needed to be to be competitive in every game. What amazes me about that is it is that we were actually Zimbabwe are very fortunate in the sense that it didn't take more of a toll on the players. So Richard and Garaba, blessing was Arabani, and um, even Tendai Chatara were able to stay relatively fit. Although blessing at the back end, I must admit, mm. he looked like a very tired man uh, against India. Yeah, look, the way we kept people fit was by curtailing the amount of work they did in practice. It was the only thing we could do. And in fact, the g between the Bangladesh game and the the Dutch game, we didn't practice at all. I gave the guys the two full days of rest from the time the plane landed until the day of the game. And we, we just practiced hard before the start of the game. Um, that was the only way to keep people physically fit, um, was to curtail the practices. And I don't think we were the only team doing that. I think most of the teams curtailed their practices right down to the, 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 the least amount. And if somebody did want to bat, you know, they, they would hire in bowling, um, you know, net bowlers and, and people prepared to stand and sling at them. They didn't use the whole team. It's very important though, isn't it, to have that balance between hard work and rest and recuperation. Yeah, it is. But obviously, as we all know, we want the, the hardest work on the field in the, in the game. Um, and I think what we have done over the four and a half months is we've We've changed the way we practice. I've said a, a number of times that we practice more quality than quantity. Uh, we've basically been looking after our bowlers now for some time, for four months, keeping a, a record of every ball that they bowl and making sure that their bowling loads are high enough ready to compete, but not so high that they're in danger of, um, of injuring themselves. So give us a couple of positives that you can take other than obviously qualifying for the Super Tops. Give us some positives and then also just give us some of the things that you were a bit um, frustrated with as you as you finished your campaign? Okay, well, well I think from a positive point of view, uh, an overall perspective from our team is uh, that we've stood up to some of the best sides in the world and gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and actually competed really well. We entertained, we were a very popular side um, outside and inside our own country. We had so many people watching the games and so many good um, messages from people from all around the world um, as uh, enjoyed the way we played. So that was a positive. I think our bowling and our fielding has been a major positive. I would say that we were pretty close to one of the top sides in, the, in terms of a bowling and fielding unit. Uh, other than for the game against India, no side got more than 150 odd against us in 20 overs, which was pretty decent going. Um, on a negative side of things, um, our batting has been brittle throughout. Um, we've, Raza's had a fantastic four months um, and he had a couple of really good knocks in this World Cup as well. Sean Williams came out with a good knock. We've had a couple of contributory 20s or 30s, but really throughout the, this tournament, we were scratching for runs all the time and having to bowl and field ourselves into the game. Okay, so that's a very, very fair synopsis, I think. And now in terms of um, looking ahead, obviously what we want to do is to try and get some of these top orders back in not just the occasional good knock, but some form of consistency. I suppose the only way that that's going to happen is uh, for them to get back not just into the nets but uh, to get more game time now, I would imagine. Yeah, well, you know, we go now into the domestic four-day cricket and the, the best place to um, you know, work on your batting is in the middle in contest, especially in the longer form where you've got time at the crease. So, you know, we're going straight back into that now. The, the lads will have a, a week off and then join, rejoin their, their franchises and I think the franchise cricket starts on the 22nd, the four-day stuff. Um, our guys have got technical work to do. So my plan is uh, myself, Stewie Matsukaniri um, on the batting side, Steve Kirby on the bowling side, and uh, Mufaro, who's our statistician, are going to now travel around to the sides, and we're going to speak to every player that was on the tour individually and do an appraisal of them. Where, what was good about their tour, 
what they felt they've learned and what we can do to improve them from now on. On the batting side for me, there is one technical issue that's glowing and that's the fact that we close our face on contact all the time. So we don't hit the ball anywhere near as hard as some of the big sides do uh, and, and certainly nowhere near as hard as any of those Indian players do, that's for sure. Um, that needs fixing, but it also got us out too many times. You know, we had guys bowled by straight deliveries that went between bat and pad because our bat face was closed. It's not a hugely significant uh, fault that need you know to repair it can be done relatively easy but it's um, something we need to do and we need to do quickly and actually for all of those coming up looking to play for Zimbabwe in the future we need to really work on their bat face because the way cricket's going you need to be able to strike the ball well I, I just I have to take you back to uh, two stadiums and the first is the Optus Stadium in Perth so it's the first mm. I've driven past it I'm not going to say I've seen it because that wouldn't mm. make any sense, but I've driven past it. And you just got the feeling that this is a stadium of intimidation. Um, this is where Zimbabwe beat Pakistan on a very bouncy, fast pitch. I, I, I would like to hear your, the different feelings and emotions that you went through as a coach. I mean, I've already told you mine about fist pumping and all sorts of crazy things <laughs> that I was doing. So now you told me that you try to stay as calm as possible, but when you're on the verge of beating Pakistan and you know that it could still go either way going into the last over. Brad Evans gets the ball and he bowls one of the best overs in the tournament and Zimbabwe pull it off. You must have had a huge amount of varying and fluctuating emotions. Um, yes, but I, I did actually stay quite calm. I, I think I, I was more nervous in the game against Holland where we never competed. Yeah. That, that, that upsets me, that gets me out of my calmness. The, against Pakistan, like that, I thought we'd put up an incredibly good fight protecting a low total. So I was fairly calm going into those last two overs. And then at that stage, I thought, well, we can win this now because they now need 20-odd. Richie bowled the second last over and he got hit for a six and a four. Now, in the past, we would have lost that game in that over. The next four balls would have gone to the boundary as well because we would have given up. Richie then bowled four of his best balls that he bowled all tournament next. And I think he went for two more runs, leaving Brad 11 off the last over. When Brad then came up um, and bowled the last over, his first two balls went for four and three. Again, some time ago, we would have considered that game over and we would have lost with balls to spare. Brad then bowled four absolutely perfect Yorkers. And you know, eventually only went for two and we won by one run. So there were so many positives out of it, not least of all winning the game, but you know, I, I talked about those two overs in particular a number of times to the team about how under absolute adversity our guys produced the best they could do. And if we can get the rest of the team in their own departments doing exactly the same, we're going to be a very good force over the next few years. I dare to suggest to you, David, that even in your playing days, some of the very, very senior bowlers that were in that side would have would have crumbled under that sort of pressure. So for the you know the likes of Richie Garaba and Brad Evans to hold their nerve the way they did was what truly was outstanding. It, it was. It was absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I can't praise our bowling and fielding unit because our fielding unit must take some credit as well. You know, your, your bowlers are only as good as the fielders can defend. And um, our catching in this tournament, I think when we left, I think we were either first or second placed for conversion of dismissals. In, in other words, number of chances and the number taken. David, just very briefly, uh, you've got a lot on your plate, but it is, we're switching codes effortlessly now from T20 cricket to test cricket because the reason why we're doing it is it is the 30th year of 
the commemorations, I suppose, or anniversary, 30th anniversary of Zimbabwe's first test match at Harare Sports Club. And I think it, nobody has paid any attention to that, understandably, due to the T20 World Cup. But I'd like to talk about it. Um, just take us back 30 years ago to that, that first test match. And you were the captain of the side. Nobody could have led better than you. You led from the front with an innings of 121. But how much do you still remember of that test match? I remember a lot about the Test match. Um, I mean, it was a, a magnificent occasion for us. I, 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 I did feel going into the Test match that we weren't really a side that was ready to play Test cricket. The cricket was at its lowest ebb in the country then. I think we had seven club sides playing cricket and we trying to pick a team of 11 to go out and play a five-day Test match against the might of India. It didn't really seem a fair contest. But at the end of the day, what we did actually speak about with the players is once you cross the line, there's... 11 people aside, you know, 22 arms, 22 legs, and, you know, we're all human. So they've got just as much chance of making mistakes as we have. And John Hampshire, who was our coach at the time, really took us back to the basics of the old Yorkshire days of his time. And he said that a number of times we're going to bat, bowl, and field like Yorkshire. And that means we're going to be disciplined when we bat. We're going to leave outside the off stump. We're only going to play wicket, uh, wicket to wicket the balls. You know, we're not going to go chasing after bowlers. We're going to bat periods of time. You know, if you get 70 by lunchtime, that's fantastic. If you get another 70 by two, then the 114. If you get 70 by close of play, you're 210. And if you can do that for two days in a row, you get 420, you won't lose a test match. Now you can talk about trying to win it. And we literally stuck to that script. We batted through the first day. I think Grant got quite a lot of runs. In fact, he probably should have got the first test 100 and mm. got out in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually get in until the second day. <coughs> But we batted through that day, and I think it was only late in the day that we got the Indians in, and we had a score of 400-plus on the board. So we'd done everything we wanted on the batting side. And then on the fielding side and the bowling side, you know, Hampstead said the same thing. We're going to bowl one side of the wicket, and that's all I want you to do. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have bowled better. In fact, I remember Sanjay Manjureka made 100 against us. If it wasn't for his 100, they would have had to, be, had to follow on. So not only did we do well in the test, we very nearly had them following on. But Sanjay batted and got that 100 and they, they passed the follow-on and we ended up batting out the last day and got a, a very creditable draw out of it. But, um, you know, we bowled incredibly well for what we had because, like I said, we picked up a team from 70 people and actually we had an injury the night before to Ali Shah, so he couldn't play and Edo Brandis broke down in the first ball yeah. after he bowled. Yeah. So, you know, we'd lost two of our top five bowlers before we'd even got anywhere in the game. John Tricos manly bowled his offspin from one end almost throughout and got five wickets, which was brilliant. Um, but I, I still remember one of the, 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 the performances of that test was Gary Crocker. He was called in late at night from Bulawayo the night before the game. He'd been at a party as well, so he'd had a few drinks. And his wife and him drove overnight from Bulawayo, wow. from that party to Harare. And he took his part in the test match. Fortunately for him, we batted first. And he was able to sleep the first day in the change room. But he bowled something like 25 overs, and I think he got one for about 30. He was so disciplined in what he bowled. Um, and I think he even handed, you know, he got us a handy 15 or 20 with the bat as well. And it, for that, for me, that was one of the real spirited Zimbabwean performances. How, Dave, how did that work? Because every one of you guys were making your test debut. So who handed over the test caps? Because, you know, obviously you would have handed over test caps in your time and, and so on. But then who would have handed you test caps given the fact that you were all making your debut? Well, we didn't really even have that sort of tradition at the time. Um, we, we just basically moved from one game to the next and it just happened to be the next one was a five-day game. 
And I think I still had the same cap that I'd worn for 10 years. Um, so no, no one even got any new caps. We were saving money in those days, I think, because Etsy. Um, so the tradition hadn't really started. Um, it only really started a few years later when they gave guys numbers. And, you know, you got your cap with your number on it. With your number on it, yeah. Of course, for you, the jump, of course, it's still a big jump, but you had been a bit more experienced than a lot of the other players because you'd had a couple of first-class hundreds under, under your belt. Yeah, you know, we'd, we'd played quite a good, uh, good number of first-class games in the years preceding um, against all the A-sides of these Test Nations. So, you know, we had, a few of us had seen enough of the really good guys and had played against some of the best players that we weren't underprepared going in in terms of us. What we didn't have was we didn't have any depth. So when we get an injury to an Ali Shah the night before, we've got to drag Gary up from Bulawayo. We didn't have anybody else in Harare that we thought could, could do the job for us. Um, th that's where our, we struggled was with our depth. But actually, in terms of experience that we had going into that test, we were quite good. And if you, I don't know if you remember, but before the, the, the test matches, the, the, the couple of A tours prior to mm -hmm. that, we played five-day games. So we played five-day games against England A, um, and we played five-day games against Pakistan A. How beneficial would that be, back in a modern time now, um, for Zimbabwe to be playing, or Zimbabwe A, I beg your pardon, to be playing five-day games against A-sides as well? I mean, I don't really know. They do have these unofficial test matches still, don't they? Yeah, you can't really play um, unofficial tests of five days, but you can play four-day games. Yeah. And, and A-side tours is something that um, you know, we talk about a lot and, and what we want to encourage, both home and away. Um, I think at the moment it serves our purpose to rather then have an A-side go away on tour to try and get overseas counties coming here on tour and playing against more people. So you're getting more people exposure to first-class cricket against better players. So I think at the moment the A-sides are pretty much on hold while we do county tours in March. So makes huge sense. So then, I mean, those counties can practically play Kwekwe, Buloe, Mutari, Harare. Correct. Uh, and, and play v different sides while doing that, not just yeah. the same sides. So if you, if you take an A-side away, you take a side of 14 yeah. or 15 players for four weeks to somewhere. That's how many people get experience. But if you bring county sides out here and we can play them three or four first-class games in Buloe against one county and three or four against another county in Harare, you can now expose you know, any number, 20, 30 players. So, David, we'll conclude. I've taken quite a bit of your time, but I just want to briefly go back to that whole building up of the test match because I want to share a lighter side of, of something with you. But the, what I remember hugely, obviously, is being down in Worcester, just outside, you know, in, outside Cape Town doing my schooling, and I saved a lot of pocket money to make phone calls. So I used to call what was then known as Radio 1, pester them for updates because, you know, there was no internet or anything like that back in 1992. <laughs> Call Harare Sports Club as well. There were some not very nice people, but they did tell me the score at least. But just as I was about to board the airplane to go back after what we called the 10-day VAC, um, university people will be familiar with that term. Um, we were at the airport. Do you remember the good old-fashioned Harare airport where you could go up onto mm. the balcony and watch and listen to the planes and have a snack? And my dad found a news, got the, the day's newspaper, and he read an article to me just to try and calm my nerves because even after nine years of going to school in South Africa, I was still incredibly nervous going back for some inexplicable reason. So to calm the nerves, he found a very nice, very, very big article at the back of the paper. And the, the, the newspaper spoke a lot about trying, the Zimbabwe Cricket Union, as they were known, is trying to lure players to come back because, as you've already alluded to, you know, there weren't much to choose from. And names that were mentioned were Peter Rawson, the Benkenstein brothers, Dale and Brett, 
And just as a byline, they, they mentioned Graham Hick, but they just said efforts to contact or to, to persuade Graham were fruitless. Now, did you have any part to play? Were you involved in trying to invite and encourage these players to come back as a captain of the team, or was that a ZCU project, administration project? I think it was a little combination of both. I mean, I was asked if I'd speak to the lads. Um, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really get to speak to um, Dale Binkenstein. I spoke to Brett, and he came and played a few games of domestic cricket here for a while, but he fancied his chances in South Africa. And, of course, I knew Graham, so I spoke to Graham a fair amount. But by the time we were playing Test Cricket in 92, Graham had already made his debut for England. So, really, we couldn't get him back, I don't think. Um, you know, so it was never going to materialise. And there were others as well. There was Stephen, uh, Trevor Penny, I mean, and Kevin Curran and so on. And they were making their way in county cricket at the time. But, um, no, we just, we had what we had yeah. and we got on with it. Yeah. All right, Davey. So, um, listen, it's been wonderful catching up with you. And, uh, I mean, obviously, any upcoming cricket, I think we have white ball. We have a couple of matches against Ireland as well, which is going to be pretty exciting. Zimbabwe Island stuff is always good, isn't it, series? Yeah, we've got um, uh, three T20s and three one-days with Ireland in, in January. They're a good side now. Um, so that'll be a, a stiff contest. And then straight after that, we're back into test cricket at last. We've got a couple of test matches with the West Indies here in Arari. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That, all right. That'll be very, very good. Dave, thanks very much for your time. You're probably still running on the adrenaline of uh, all the, the traveling and so on and a jet lag will kick in. Wishing you nothing but the very best. And uh, we just hope that Zimbabwe continue to play the wonderful brand of cricket that you have injected into the side. Thanks, Dean. You're listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Righto, that uh, was Zimbabwe coach Dave Houghton concluding proceedings, or con- yeah, concluding proceedings, that's the right word, here on the Dean at Stumps podcast. A little bit of uh, unnecessary breeze blowing in the background, so we'll certainly make sure that that doesn't happen again. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the show. Great being with you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be back again pretty soon, God willing, with uh, another couple of good interviews. Until then, stay safe and uh, take care.